be our service in the afternoon. So that is this coming week. Uh, remember, not here, not 9.30, 10.30, uh, over there at the amphitheater there at Haynes Park. Uh, like I said, come dressed appropriately to um, be outside. Uh, we'll have yard games. Come dressed appropriately to play yard games and all of that. That'll be um, afterwards uh, there at the park. And bring someone with you. What a great opportunity to invite someone that maybe wouldn't darken the doors of a church but can come out to a park. Uh, so we'll be there this coming Sunday. Um, also, college students or any of you other young, strong men, um, I'd encourage you to try to get there around maybe 9 or 9.30 uh, to help kind of clean up and get set up and ready to go. Uh, Jim's got a little bit of setup to do, I know, with the um, mics and all of that, piano. So uh, if you consider yourself a young man uh, and you're able to get there a little early, we could use the help in setting up. Yeah, yeah, we got uh, the bleachers that are out there. Also, feel free to bring Psalm 76. In Judah, God is known. His name is great in Israel. In Salem also is his tabernacle and his dwelling place in Zion. There he broke the arrows of the bow, the shield of the sword of battle, Selah. You are more glorious and excellent than the mountains of prey. The stout-hearted were plundered. They have sunk into their sleep, and none of the mighty men have found the use of their hands. At your rebuke, O God of Jacob, both the chariot and horse were cast into a deep sleep. You, yourself, are to be feared. And who may stand in your presence when once you are angry? You caused judgment to be heard from heaven. The earth feared and was still. When God arose to judgment to deliver all the oppressed of the earth, Selah. Surely the wrath of man shall praise you. With the remainder of wrath you shall gird yourself. Make vows to the Lord your God and pay them. Let all who are around him bring presents to him who ought to be feared. He shall cut off the spirit of princes. He is awesome to the kings of the earth. Let's pray. Truly, Lord, you are awesome. Even as we proclaimed in song just a second ago, you are great and you are mighty and you are worthy. And even as we look at this passage this evening, may we see your greatness. May we rejoice in your justice. May we find hope uh, even in uh, your wrath against sin. And may you be honored in all that we say and do in Jesus' name. Amen. So we come to Psalm 76, it kind of continues the idea that we saw last week from Psalm 75. You remember, remember as we work our way through Psalm 75, it focuses on God as judge. It begins with praise, it closes with praise. And the big idea of Psalm 75 is while the wicked face God's judgment, the righteous sing God's praises. As you come to Psalm 76, though, both Psalm 76 and Psalm 75 are a response to Psalm 74. So if you go back to Psalm 74, in Psalm 74, the psalmist cries out, O God, why have you cast us off forever? Why does your anger smoke against the sheep 
of your pasture, and you see that the, the, the sanctuary of the Lord lies in ruins, you come to the end of that psalm, in Psalm 74, this, this cry out, where are you, God? The psalmist's hope is that through the sanctuary, though the sanctuary of the Lord lies in ruins, the promises of the Lord still stand. And he's crying out to the Lord, where are you? Verse 18, remember this, that the enemy has reproached, O Lord, and that a foolish people has blasphemed your name. Remember, bring justice in your time, at the right time. Bring justice, remember what has happened. Psalm 75 is a response to that. Thanksgiving that focuses on God's justice. Now as you come to Psalm 76, it also focuses on God's justice. It is a response back to the cry of Psalm 74. Interestingly, this psalm has kind of a two-part focus to it. In verses 1 to 6, they look back. Verses 1 to 6 looks back to a specific time in history when, when God's justice and God's power was seen. Psalm 7 is then, or, or verse 7 is then almost like a, a chorus of praise moving into verses 8 to 12, which looks forward to the ultimate day of justice when God comes and his wrath is poured out. So you work your way through the psalm, you see that progression from the past to the future. It starts here in verse 1. In Judah, God is known. His name is great in Israel. In Salem, it's another word for Jerusalem, basically. You know the idea there. In, in Jerusalem also is his tabernacle and his dwelling place in Zion. It starts here with God's people. In Judah, God is known. His name is great in Israel. That's really kind of a fascinating those first two lines, if you think about it, Judah and Israel. If you know anything about the history of Israel, you know that those are the two, uh, that, that's the divided kingdom, the two parts of the divided kingdom, Judah in the south and Israel in the north. And so even here as you start in Psalm 76, you have a divided nation. These two, this one divided nation separating these two factions. You have serious political differences here. And yet both in Judah and in Israel you have hope. Here we see a divided nation with a united faith, a united hope. One faith and one God. In Judah God is known. His name is great in Israel. They don't agree on much, but this they agree on, that our God is great. I find that interesting. That in this psalm, Psalm 76, you have these two, north and south, Judah and Israel. They did not get along at all. And yet here in Psalm 76, worship brings together what sin separates. They serve one God, and he is worthy. He is known in Judah. His name is great in Israel. And where the Lord is known, there is hope. Not only is he known and praised by his people, but he dwells in the midst of them. In Salem or Jerusalem is his tabernacle. His tent where he chooses to dwell in the midst of his people, his dwelling place in Zion. 
They know him, and he dwells in their midst. They are his people, and he is their God. You move into verse 3 to 6. Now the focus shifts to this time in the past when the Lord delivered his people. When he poured out his justice, there he broke the arrows of the bow, the shield and sword of the battle. He cripples his enemy. Many think that here in verses 3 to 6, the setting or the, the specific thing that it's looking back to is the destruction of Sennacherib's army by the angel of the Lord. You see that in Isaiah 37, 36. It's recorded for us in 2 Kings 19, verses 32 to 36. You have this great army of 180,000 who has come against the Lord's people and there is no hope. And yet what happens? If you remember the story, in the middle of the night, the angel of the Lord comes. And the next day, there's nothing left. They've been wiped out. An impossible situation in which God steps in for the good of his people. The whole army, 180,000, wiped out. He broke the arrows and the bow, the shield and the sword of the battle. You are more glorious and excellent than the mountains of prey. That's kind of an odd phrase, the mountains of prey. I could have the idea of these mountains out of which the enemies came. Um... It could have the idea uh, of mountains. Mountains of prey would be mountains where uh, a lion would go and hunt a mountain that is abundant. Uh, it could have the idea of abundance. It could have the idea of um, mountains, terrible mountains from which enemy comes from which an enemy comes out of. But either idea, either way, whether it's an abundant mountain or a scary mountain, either way, the idea is God is greater. Regardless of what this mountain is, regardless of how tall it is, how scary it is, how plentiful it is, regardless of who comes out of this mountain or who dwells in this mountain, regardless, God is greater. You are more glorious and excellent. The stout-hearted were plundered. They've sunk into their sleep. Again, here's where you kind of see the, the idea of um, the destruction of Sennacherib's army. They went to sleep and they never woke up. They sank into their sleep. They were plundered. None of the mighty men have found the use of their hands. At your rebuke, O God, of Jacob, both the chariot and horses were cast into a deep sleep. Looking back to a time in the past when God showed up for his people. When God's justice was poured out against Sennacherib and his army. When the wicked were punished and the righteous were delivered. That's hope for God's people. That moves the psalmist here in verse 7 to praise. You yourself are to be feared. And who may stand in your presence when once you are angry? You yourself are to be feared. This great army, you defeated. You yourself are to be feared. 
It reminds me, when you think about the fear of the Lord, it reminds me of a passage from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. In that book, Mr. Beaver is trying to explain to Lucy Aslan. And she comes to realize that he's not a person, he's a lion. And she kind of responds, she says, is he safe? Should should we go in in front of a lion? Is is he safe? I don't know if you remember that book, and I don't know if you remember how Mr. Beaver responds, but he responds in this way. Of course he isn't safe, but he is good. Of course he isn't safe. He's a lion, but he is good. This fear, the fear of the Lord, it's a fear that evokes terror from his enemies because he is not safe. And yet it's a fear that evokes respect and comfort and love from his children for he is good. You yourself are to be feared. And who may stand in your presence? And once you are angry, his judgment is sure, his wrath is righteous, and his condemnation is just. As you move to verse 8 then, verses 8 to the end, jumps all the way to the end of history. It looks forward to the ultimate judgment. You cause judgment to be heard from heaven. The earth feared and was still when God arose to judgment to deliver all the oppressed of the earth. One day judgment will come and one day all the oppressed will be free. And that day is coming. And we long for that people, God's people long for that day. God's people long for that day. Come, Lord Jesus, bring justice. Verse 10, surely the wrath of man shall praise you with the remainder of the wrath. You shall gird yourself. Surely the wrath of man shall praise you. It's the idea that the judgment of the Lord ultimately turns the taunts and the anger of the wicked into praise. The judgments of the Lord that will be poured out against the wicked will turn their wrath into praise for the Lord. I think a good illustration to help us kind of understand that is the song Yankee Doodle. If you know the story behind that, it's a song that was sung by, the British, by British military officers to mock the disorganized colonial Yankees. The idea of a Yankee Doodle dandy it implies an unsophisticated, mis, uh, let's see if I can read my writing, Mi- an unsophisticated misappropriation of upper class fashion, as if sticking a feather in your hat makes you noble. They're making fun of them. You think you're noble, you think you're, you're just by sticking a feather in your hat. We know people like that, do we not? An, an unsophisticated misappropriation of us upper class fashion. Have you ever seen someone that just does not look comfortable in a suit. You know, so you can just you can tell they have no idea how to wear it or what, they just look uncomfortable. And that's fine. But that's kind of the idea the British soldiers were making fun of them. You don't fit this. You're disorganized. 
There's nothing special, nothing important about you. And yet what ended up happening? That song completely flipped from something to make fun of to something that they took hold of, right? Yeah, this is who we are. We are Yankee Doodle Dandy. Bring it on. That went from something to, to, to mock them to something that was used to, to kind of get the troops up and to go. That's the idea here, the, the wrath of man. They stand here and they mock God. They're angry. They are wicked. And yet all of that, in the end, turns around to praise God who is just. When they are punished for that wrath and that mockery, it is God's justice that shines forth and it is His glory that shines forth. So how to respond, verse 11, make vows to the Lord your God and pay them. Let all who are around him bring presents to him who ought to be feared. Approach God rightly. Respond to his justice and his power. Respond to him rightly. Make vows to him and keep it. Bring presents to him. He shall cut off the spirit of princes. He is awesome to the kings of the earth. God's sovereign rule over the whole earth. One day, all nations will bow before him. And he'll be awesome to the kings of the earth. Again here in Psalm 76, we find ourselves contemplating the justice of God. You find yourselves contemplating the wrath of God, the judgment of God. It seems like that's kind of a place we've been the last several weeks. And it's, it's, it's the Lord's doing. I, I chose to take us through Habakkuk. I thought that it would you know, kind of fit. I thought it made sense with where we are. And there's a lot in Habakkuk about God's justice. At the time when I picked that, I didn't realize, I, I mean, I probably realized it, but I didn't put it together. Psalm 74, 75, 76, all focusing on God's justice, God's judgment. And these can be very, it can be very heavy when we're talking about God's justice and God's judgment. Sometimes we, we, if you're like me, you're thinking, man, can't there be something just uplifting? Something exciting? And I think that this is uplifting and this is exciting. And I don't know that... This isn't a fully formed thought. It's something I've been working through today. So maybe I shouldn't say it, but I'm going to. How, we come to a psalm like 76, and if, like Psalm 76, and if you're like me, Psalm 74, 75, 76, Habakkuk, there's things in there that gets us excited, but, but, but it's almost like we roll our eyes. Oh, God's justice again. God, I, I know he's just. I know he's going to judge sin. But what about his grace? That's how I was kind of studying this today. For some reason, the thought kept returning to me. How might our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan tonight read Psalm 76 differently than we are? 
Like we come to Psalm 76 and Psalm 74 and Psalm 75 and, and yes, we know that there's injustice in the world. Yes, we know that, that, that life is hard. But as we, as we think about God's justice, it's almost a, a, a faceless enemy, just a general justice. Yes, God is just. But there are brothers and sisters around the world tonight who it's not a faceless enemy. There are brothers and sisters tonight in Afghanistan and other places around the world gathered in the corner of a house with a very real enemy looking to kill them. There are people tonight around this world, brothers and sisters in Christ, who have seen injustice. They've seen their children pulled from their arms and slaughtered in front of them for no other reason than the fact that they're Christians. They've seen their family killed unjustly for no other reason than the fact that they are Christians. They have seen injustice on a level that many of us have never seen and cannot fathom. I mean, throughout church history, how might people have read this psalm differently than we do? And it's not to say that, that the freedom that we enjoy is a bad thing. It's a good thing. And we praise the Lord for freedom. 1 Timothy tells us, 1 Timothy 2 tells us to praise the Lord for freedom, to seek freedom, to pray for freedom. That's a good thing, and the church should thrive in the midst of freedom. And yet freedom should not make us grow cold to justice. God is just. And one day, injustice will be punished. One day, the wicked will stand before a holy God and they will be judged for their sin. And there is hope for us in that. Even when you jump to the end of Scripture, Revelation 6, 9 to 11, as the martyrs, as the seals are open and these, these martyrs, how, how, what do they say? Do you remember? How long, O oh Lord? They, they want to see justice. It's not just a faceless enemy or just general justice. It's specific. We want to see those who have, who have killed us, who have, who have tried to squash your gospel. We want to see them judged. The right response to God's justice and God's wrath and God's judgment is not to roll our eyes. Oh, again, when are we going to get something sweet, something that can uplift us like grace and mercy? I'd say, brothers and sisters, if the justice of God does not uplift you, then the problem is with you, not with the justice of God. May God's wrath move us to worship, to confess, to fall down before our holy God. May the justice of God move our hearts to praise Him. 
I think that's what you see in the Psalms. The justice of God demands praise from his people. Praise the Lord for his justice. Because when justice is done, truth is won. When justice is done, at the end of all time, and God pours out his wrath, we will rejoice because truth has won. May God's wrath move us to worship because the justice of God demands praise. It is a heavy subject, but it's a heavy subject that demands a response of praise. Praise the Lord for his justice and his wrath and confess your sins before him. And then naturally, we see that the justice of God leads to the mercy of God. Because as his justice leads you to confession, his mercy gives you hope. I hope that that is an encouraging psalm for you this evening. Again, I don't know that that was a fully formed thought. It's just something I've been chewing on today. I do think, though, that those who are in Afghanistan, those throughout history who have found themselves in very difficult places facing very real injustice, I think that they would not roll their eyes at a psalm like this. I don't think that they would be, oh, why something so heavy? I think that they might find more hope in a psalm like this. May our freedom not blind us to the justice of God. Along those lines, this evening, as we go to prayer, um, we'll, we'll take requests, and we'll pray for requests. Um, but I would encourage you, there are brothers and sisters around the world today facing things that, that we have no clue or cannot fathom. So I'd encourage you, pray specifically this evening, uh, 